Hey, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Brownsbridge Church podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download the Brownsbridge Church app where you can access all of our recent message content as well as find out more information about Brownsbridge Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Uh, anybody um, take a to-go box of those cinnamon rolls or bacon earlier? Enjoyed that? The bacon? Yeah, that was your favorite. Anybody say, oh, no, no, thank you. But then like when their spouse got one, they were like, hey, let me have a bite of that. Somebody do that one. Uh, you, you know, this, this is interesting. It's sort of where we're heading today. But isn't it interesting how human beings are appetite machines? Like we are just appetite machines. We have appetites for all sorts of things. You know, we come in different shapes and sizes. We have different personalities, different wirings. And what we uh, have an appetite for might differ from person to person. But what you can guarantee that as human beings, we have appetites for a lot of things. One of the things, I'll just go ahead and confess here at the top. Can we have a little, this is a safe crowd, right? This isn't gonna leave the room. Um, I, I have an appetite for chips and salsa. Yeah. Thank you, yeah, yeah, you know. Anybody else in here is chips and salsa? And, you know, they come to the table at your local Mexican restaurant. You choose which one you want to go to, but they come, they say, hey, can I get you something to drink? And oh, also, uh, would you like queso and guac? And what's the answer? Yes. Yes, both of them. Just bring them on. If you want to add a bunch of stuff to the cheese dip too, yeah, sure, we'll do that. Anything that we can take and like dip a chip into I mean, that is my weakness, y'all. I love, love, love chips and salsa. It's actually one of the things in our family that I've been working on lately is, you know, we have four boys and uh, speaking of appetites, man, they, they can eat some food. So if y'all wanna help with the grocery bill, uh, we're, we're gonna start a little side fund um, for, uh, for the kids. I'm just kidding, we're not gonna do that. But so with, with my boys, I'm trying to train them up, right? I'm, I'm trying to, I want them to be great young men one day. And so I'm trying to teach them about life. There's a lot of important things about life that I'm teaching them. One thing in particular that I'm trying to teach them is cheese dip etiquette. <laughs> Y'all, this is important. You know how important this is, right? Uh, you know, you, 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 you dip the chip in the bowl and there's a, there's a certain process that you need to follow after you dip the chip in the bowl, right? You don't just scoop in like it's a spoon and then try to bring it over, right? You gotta, you gotta let the chip drain a little bit and then you use the what? The side of the bowl, right? You gotta do that perfect little swipe and then it controls the cheese dip. And then you've got a really great like covered tortilla chip with queso on it that you can enjoy without getting it all over the table. With, with, with our kids, like you look away for a second, you look back at the table and there's just lines pointing of cheese dip. And the kids are like, oh, I didn't do it. And I'm like, no, that line is pointing straight towards you. I know exactly, I know exactly who did that. So that, that's something that I have an appetite for. And do you know what ends up happening when, and, and this, this literally happened on Wednesday of this week, okay? This is fresh, all right? Some, uh, some, some of the folks on staff here, we went out for a lunch to a Mexican restaurant. We got the queso, we got the guacamole, we got the salsa. And then what happened a few minutes later when my food came? I was totally, totally done, right? I was totally full, all right? The, the chips and the salsa, my, my desire, my appetite for the chips and the salsa actually stopped me from being able to enjoy my meal. Now, I still enjoyed it. I still ate it, okay? I wasn't, I wasn't gonna let it go to waste, but 
My appetite for the chips and salsa actually stopped me. Can anybody else relate to this in the room? Okay, this has happened to you before, right? Well, here's the interesting thing about our appetites. We have appetites, not just for food. We have appetites in things all throughout our lives. We have appetites for attention, for fame, for popularity. We have an appetite for entertainment, for pleasure, for money, for materials, you know, stuff in our life, things we want. We can have an appetite for travel, for adventure, an appetite for power and control, an appetite for perfection, an appetite for knowledge. We can have an appetite for so many different things in our world. And just like the chips and salsa, these appetites can actually stop us. They can sideline us. They can stall us out in life and ultimately prevent us from experiencing what we ultimately want in relationships, what we ultimately want in our career, what we ultimately want in our financial world, what we ultimately want in our, our faith world, our relationship with God. These appetites can get in the way and stop us from experiencing those things. And we, we have a word for appetites that are not directed towards food. The word is this right here, it's desire. Human beings are desire machines. We're filled with desires, all sorts of desires. And they're not all bad. There's a lot of really good desires we have. God-given desires, desires that will lead to great things. But other desires are not so good. Other desires we learn uh, through life, uh, just through experience, through trial and error, that, wow, that's, that's something, yeah, I, I desire it, but I don't think that's something that I really need. Maybe we learn it from our parents. You know, they teach us things growing up and, hey, you shouldn't do that. You should do this. And, and we learn, okay, that desire we learn from our parents or maybe the church we grew up in. Yeah, not, not so good of a desire. Other times it's just common sense. We can kind of look at it as we step away and we're like, yeah, that's not a good desire. And these desires can take us out. These are the desires that, again, can stall us out or sideline us or prevent us from what we ultimately want. You can think about it this way, that some desires will stop us from experiencing what we ultimately desire. Some desires will get in the way of what we ultimately desire. And typically it's a short-term thing versus a long-term thing, right? Like in the short term, you know, I, I want this thing right here. And if we don't handle this thing right here, this desire for, for this thing that's right in front of us, it may cost us later in something that we ultimately desire. Desires can cost us. Desires can stop us. And so today we're gonna wrestle with this question. How do we stop the desires that are stopping us? How do we stop the desires that are stopping us? All of us in here have something that is potentially stopping us. It may be really, really big. It may be really, really small. But how do we stop the desires that are stopping us? How do we stop the desires be before they stop us? And the answer is not what you think. And the answer is not your typical church. If you grew up in a church, you may think, okay, I know, I know what the church is gonna say about this. And, and actually what the church often says about this is our natural human response to it as well. Because our response when we have a desire in our lives that we don't like or we don't think that's good for us or we know we shouldn't do, we just respond with this right here. 
Isn't this what we do? We just say, don't. There's this desire over here, don't. Or maybe you've heard it this way, thou shall not. Thou shall not. That may, that may be the way you heard it of in church growing up, or maybe that's the way your parents told you, and they just were real clear, like thou shall not, or you shouldn't. Or maybe you've said it to yourself, I shouldn't. When we have desires that pop up in our life that we know are not good for us, we'll, we'll just slap a don't on it. Just don't. And we think that's going to take care of it. But this is not very effective, is it? It's not very effective. It might be good for a while. We might, we might be able to maintain for a while. You know, we've all tried this at some point. And it works for a little bit. But then eventually, say we're trying to eat healthy, you know, and, and you, know, you know, we're like, hey, we're going to say don't to all the, you know, the fun, enjoyable, delicious foods out there, okay? Cinnamon rolls, bacon, uh, you know, donut holes, things along those lines, you know, just randomly thinking. And we do pretty good for a while. But then one day we walk in the kitchen and there's the chocolate cake on the counter. And above it, we have this sign and it says, don't, you know? And at some point we reach that breaking point and we just, we just go right through the sign. We just move right past it and we dive into the chocolate cake. And what does the chocolate cake taste like? It tastes amazing. Especially if you've been saying no and you've been saying don't and you've been doing pretty good. It's like in this moment, you're like, oh my gosh, this chocolate cake is amazing. Why did I ever say don't in the first place? And then you're in a conundrum. You're stuck. You're like, uh-oh, that was really good, but I know I should go back over here to the don't side of things. And you know, and you can see, you can see how that becomes a problem. And it's one thing with chocolate cake, but it's a, it's a much bigger deal when we're talking about something relationally something in our marriage, our family, something financially, something with our career, something that God's doing in our lives and our faith relationship with him. And, and we're really stopped and we're really stuck in life. That's when it becomes a much bigger deal. And our desire, our desire is often stronger than our don't. In those moments, in the things that matter most, our natural reaction is to just say don't, or I shouldn't, or I'm not going to. But we're unsuccessful in actually living that out. You could picture it this way. <laughs> Can anybody relate to that? <laughs> This is that moment, right? This is that moment when you're on the diet. You haven't had uh, refined sugar, you know, processed sugar in two weeks. And your body is going, what are you doing to me? Just give me some sugar, right? And you walk in and you see that chocolate cake on the counter. This is your desire. And don't, you know, like this. <laughs> don't doesn't stand a chance in that moment. And again, this is a human experience. There's not one person who has ever been fully self-controlled, who has ever said, you know what? I'm, I'm able to keep everything un, un, in, in control, self-control. I just slap a don't on the things I'm not supposed to do. I slap a do on the things I am supposed to do and I'm good. I don't do it and I do it. No one fully dominant over their desires. 
And it's because don't is not enough. There's got to be a better way. And there is a better way. And it's offered to us through Jesus. We're going to look at a few verses today um, in Paul's letter to the Romans. And his letter to the Romans, even by people that are not Christian scholars that, that don't believe in Jesus, or at least believe that Jesus is the Son of God, they still consider Romans a literary masterpiece from the first century. And for Christians, for followers of Jesus, the, the letter to the Romans um, holds some of our uh, most beautiful theology, things that are true about God, things that are true about Jesus and our relationship with him, specifically chapters five, six, seven, and eight are just game changers and life changers when it comes to following Jesus. So if you're, uh, this is just for free, but if you're wondering what you should read this week or you, you, know, you wake up early and you wanna read something, read Romans chapters five, six, seven, and eight. You're not gonna, in, you're not gonna uh, understand all of it. I mean, I don't even understand all of it. I got a seminary degree. I kind of do this, this thing professionally, but there's some beautiful, beautiful things in those chapters. Today, we're gonna zero in on chapter seven and then a little bit of chapter eight. And in these chapters, Paul is talking about desire and he's talking about don't and this natural reaction that we have to our desires. And he gives us, in these verses, he gives us something better than don't. He gives us something to do when our experience is this right here. When we're stuck in this cycle of, yeah, I know I shouldn't, but I just keep doing it. He gives us something better than that. It's Romans chapter seven, and we're gonna pick it up in verse seven. This is what Paul says. He says, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. And we talked about this last week that the Greek word sin is just hamartia. It means to miss the mark. So oftentimes when we hear the word sin, especially if you're not a church person, it can sound like this big, deep, dark, like dark, dark sin, bad, bad behavior, you know? And, and that's true, but it's also true that anytime we're missing the mark, even just a little bit, even if we're stuck just a little bit or we're off track just a little bit from what God created to do for what our purposes are, the life that we're supposed to live, the life we're supposed to bring to the table. He says, I wouldn't have known that I was missing the mark. I wouldn't have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. He's referencing the, the, the ancient Israelites, their 10 commandments. Commandment number 10 is thou shall not covet. But for our purposes today, Paul is also talking about anytime you slap a law on some, something, anytime you say don't, this is what happens. Verse eight, he says this, but sin, and he personifies sin here a little bit. He gives it some human characteristics. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. So Paul's saying, the moment I heard don't covet, I started coveting like crazy. Like the moment, the moment I heard don't covet, the moment that thought came into my mind, all of a sudden I just wanted to covet all of these different things. Parents, you've experienced this before. How well does it go over when you tell your kids don't do something? Last week, I, I, my, my youngest uh, had had a nightmare 
And the next night I was um, kind of getting him ready for bed and, and he was just freaked out about the nightmare that he had the night before. He was so scared that he was, he was gonna have a nightmare that night. And I just told him, hey, don't think about that. <laughs> you can see the problem, right? Just don't, just don't think about that. Think about good things, think about positive things. And here he is, he's thinking like the night before it was just so awful, woke up in the middle of the night and had this bad nightmare. And you know, the, the solution to the problem, we can see it in this scenario is like the, the, the solution is not don't. Don't is only gonna produce more thinking about it, right? And this is true for adults too. If I say don't think about something right now, whatever I fill in the blank with, you're gonna start thinking about it. Like, don't think about the Super Bowl. Okay. Some of y'all in here are like, yeah, I don't care about the Super Bowl. I'm not going to think about it at all. But some of you are like already think, okay, is it wings or pizza tonight? Um, we're going to have friends over. Oh yeah, that's right. We got to do a couple things before they show up at five and we got to get six packs of beer. I mean, soda, uh, six packs of soda. Um, don't think about the Super Bowl. Don't think about the Super Bowl. You're already thinking about the pregame show and the halftime show and the commercials and everything. Again, the moment we say don't, it actually has the opposite effect, Paul says. He's saying, look, the, the sin, it produced in me, when, when the law came, it, it, it produced in me every, every kind of coveting. And he says this in verse 10 that, and this essentially happens anytime we, we slap a law on something, anytime we say don't. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. I found the very commandment was intended to bring life. I love that it says that because that's our intention too, right? When we say don't, we, we ultimately are trying to do it to, to bring about better behavior. We're trying to bring about life. We're trying to make things better. Our intentions are good when we say don't. But this very thing that was intended to bring life actually brought death. The thing that was supposed to keep me out of trouble actually attracted me straight to it like a magnet. Don't covet. And then all of a sudden, covet, 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 covet. Verse 11, for sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, it tricked me, and through the commandment put me to death. And he's not talking about actual death here, obviously, because he's still alive. He's writing this letter. He's talking about death in the battle against his desire. He lost the battle against his desire. The don't didn't help. And you may think, well, wow, Adam, that's just so encouraging. Thank you for that. What are we supposed to do with this? You know? But Paul has us right where he wants us. He's He's trying to connect us to a human experience that's true of all of us so that, so that he can show us what Jesus did for us through his cross, through his death on the cross and the resurrection. So in this first part of these verses, Paul is essentially saying, don't say don't. Don't say don't. And then he gets really personal. These next few verses, he essentially says, look, I tried it. I tried it. Let me tell you how it worked out for me. And, and Paul would actually, in, in other, other scriptures, when he tells a little bit of his story, he was better at the don'ts and the do's than anybody else. 
still fell short, but he would say, no, I was, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I kept the letter of the law to the T. He knew about don't and he lived out don't. Again, better than anyone else. And he's gonna tell us over the next few verses how that worked out for him and what happens for us when we rely on don't alone to help fight our desires. Verse 15, he says, I do not understand what I do. There's something we can all relate to, right? I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. I know I shouldn't. I don't want to. I've told myself don't, yet I still do it. And then the good that I know I should do, I want to do, I know is good, I do not do. Verse 18, for for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Anybody relate to this? I mean, this has all been our experience in life, right? As we go through life, we set up things that we want to do and then we know we should do and then things that we, we shouldn't do and, and don't do these things. And, and if only it was that simple. Because as we go through life, it's like, and this is what Paul is saying, the good that I want to do, I, I don't do. And, and then the things that I'm saying don't do, this is the stuff I just keep on doing. It's like, literally, I, I am crossing and doing the opposite, in both of these things. In verse 20 he says, now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So the next time you mess up, just say, hey, it's not me that really was doing it. It's the sin living in me. That's, that's it seems like Paul's kind of checking out. I, I wouldn't recommend doing that, especially if you're like confessing something to a spouse or you've been caught, you know, whatever it is, it's like, don't, 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 don't say, hey, it's just the sin living in me. It's not me <laughs> who's doing it. Verse 21, Paul says this. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. I do delight in his law. I delight in what he said. I, I know what's right. I believe it's good. That desire is there. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. I have the good that I want to do. And I have this delight in what's right and doing what's right but there's something else at work in me as well. And it's waging war against me. I love the language he uses here to, again, just personify this battle that every single human being has to fight. And he says, it's making me a prisoner. And I, I, I love that he uses that word because if you think about the cycle that we get in when we rely on don't to try to stop our desires, it feels like we're a prisoner. We say don't, we know we shouldn't, and then we end up eventually failing. And as soon as we fail, we have regret, we have shame, we feel bad, we wish we wouldn't have. We might start making excuses, we might start blaming others, trying to find some way to make us better. But certainly we kind of, 
kind of recommit and say, okay, we're gonna try again. We're gonna, you know, not do this. Okay, I learned my lesson last time. I'm gonna don't, 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 don't. And then we go right back there. And then of course, eventually we fail again. We go back to regret and shame and explaining and blaming. And then that recommitment again and that cycle that we get stuck in. It's very much like being a prisoner. So I love that Paul used that word. And after explaining his experience, hey, this is what don't did for me. Paul kind of wraps up or summarizes himself in this way. Verse 24, he says, what a wretched man I am. It sounds harsh, but he's, he's self-diagnosing here. And again, this is the same guy who would say he's the Pharisee, the Pharisee kept the law better than anyone. When he really looked at it, he said, wow, I do not have the power to just say do and don't, to, to, to stop the stuff that's stopping me and to do the things that I know are really gonna bring life. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me? from this body that is subject to death. He's saying, look, I can't do it. I'm gonna need rescue. I'm gonna need rescue. I can't do it on my own. Verse 25, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So the answer is Jesus, like it always is in church. Let's close in prayer and we can get out of here. Um, <laughs> And what does he mean by this? Well, he's, he's about to tell us. And in our Bibles, it transitions to chapter eight. In Paul's writing, there were no chapters, there were no verses. These were added centuries later just so that we could access the material in the scriptures. So Paul doesn't stop. He answers the question with one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible, and certainly in the New Testament, Romans 8. Chapter eight, verse one. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, meaning those who have put their faith in him, those who are following him, those who have surrendered their life and pointed their life in his direction. It's what it means to be in Christ Jesus. And Paul's saying there's no condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And for some of us here today, that's the one thing that we need to hear. Because whatever your desire is, you've been stuck in it for some time and you wonder if God is still around. You wonder if God is still close. You wonder if you're good enough. You wonder if, 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 if you're good enough for him to be close to you. For him to still care? Has he abandoned you? Has he said, hey, you failed one too many times? And these 12 words right here that Paul wrote 2,000 years ago, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus are the encouragement to you today. There's no condemnation. Because, verse two, because through Christ Jesus, meaning his death and his resurrection, this new life that's offered to us through him. Through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life 
has set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death. That's, that's all the stuff that Paul would say. That's all the stuff I just talked about. That cycle, the, the, the don't, and then you just go right past the don't, and then you feel regret and you shame and you, you come back. That is the law of sin and death. The law of, hey, as soon as you say don't, all of a sudden you're gonna wanna do it a lot more. And then you're gonna, you're gonna feel bad once, once you do. You're gonna know, ah, I shouldn't have done that. That's the law of sin and death. It's the way any sin comes to life. And there's a major struggle the moment you put don't on it. And Paul is saying, listen, you follower of Jesus, you who are in Jesus, you who have put your faith in Jesus and have followed him, you have been offered a different way through his death and through his resurrection. You've been offered an alternative path to just saying don't to the things that are stopping you. What Paul calls the spirit who gives life. He's talking about the Holy Spirit who Jesus taught about, talked about multiple occasions. If you read the gospel accounts, Jesus constantly talked about the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit was gonna follow Jesus and he was gonna, he was gonna fill the believers in the early church fill people who have put their faith in Jesus and are following him. And he called the Holy Spirit an advocate and a helper. That's the way Jesus described the Holy Spirit over and over and over again was as an advocate and a helper. And Paul is saying, look, through Christ Jesus, we have been offered a different path. We can follow the law of sin and death, the, the, the path of don't, or we could follow the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us and have a helper in our time of need. In fact, a few verses later, he says it later in Romans 8. It says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So if our desire is stronger than our don't, we can be confident that our helper is stronger than our desire. And what Paul is saying here in these verses is if you want to stop the desires that are stopping you, don't, don't say don't. Don't say don't. You know where that's going to lead you. You know where you're going to end up. I lived it. We've all lived it. Don't say don't. Say help. Don't say don't. Say help. When that thing rises up in you and our immediate reaction is go, oh, don't, don't think about that. Don't look at that. Don't buy that. Don't, 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 don't. When that begins to rise up in you and me, Paul is saying, just stop. And don't say don't, say help. Call on your heavenly father, the God who created you and loves you and who is with you. He's not abandoned you. He's not looking at you going, hey, you need, you, need to, you need to get this worked out. You need to get this figured out before, you know, we can be good again. He's there with you. He's gracious. He's kind. He cares about you. Say help to the Holy Spirit that fills you and that is your advocate and your helper. Don't say don't. Say help. When you say help, 
several things happen. Number one, you're, already, you're admitting what you already know. You're admitting that don't, won't do it. And that you can't do it on your own. The second thing it does is it gives us a humble posture. One of surrender. And we cannot live the Christian life without surrender. It's in that moment, rather than, rather than controlling and saying, okay, I'm gonna figure out how to control this. It's opening our hands and going, Jesus, I surrender to your ways. I don't know why this desire is here. I wish it would go away. I've tried to get it to go away and it won't go away. So Jesus, right now, I just surrender. I surrender to your ways. I surrender to your life. Help, help. The third thing it does is it creates accountability. Creates accountability. It makes us ask the question, well, what can I do? You think about this, if, if we were, uh, if, if, if you were drowning and, uh, you know, you were calling out for help, but yet you knew how to tread water and you knew how to swim, you, you can't cry out for help without also thinking, oh, I, I need to start treading water. I need to start swimming. These are things that I know I can do. It creates a sense of accountability when we say help rather than don't. And oftentimes when we're tempted by these desires, when, when we, we go into planning or we go into actually laying out here, here's how I'm gonna do this thing. It's much harder to plan those things out when we're saying help. It's much harder to shop for those things when we're saying help, while we're saying help. It's much harder to walk to the fridge and get the refined sugar out of the fridge that we know we shouldn't eat when we're saying help. Again, it just reminds us, it opens our eyes of, oh yeah, no, I have, I do have volition in this. I'm not completely out of control. Reminds us of the part that we play. Saying help also reminds us that we're not alone. Oftentimes with our struggles, those areas of our life that, that again, have, have not just gone well, maybe other people don't know about it, we, we can feel really lonely. And in that moment when we, don't say don't, but instead say help. We are reminding ourselves that God is with us. Help assumes that someone is there. You, you, you say help because you think that someone's there. And for us in our context today, we're assuming that God is there. And when we say help, it's a reminder. Oh yeah, God is with me. He's right here. He's right here with me. And he cares about what's going on in my life. And then lastly, when we say help, it invites his help into our world, into our life. And it partners us with the redemptive work of God that's already going on in your, in your life and in my life and in the world around us. This is the partnership that we have in it. It's a beautiful dance that God does between us and him. There's a connection, there's a partnership, there's a participation that we have in this. And when we stop and we say, okay, I'm not going to say don't. I'm going to say help in this moment. We are inviting his help in. We're partnering with him in it. So what's stopping you? What's stopping you? Do you have a desire that's stopping you? 
Again, it doesn't have to be some huge thing. Obviously, there may be some huge things in your world, but it could just be something that's really, really small. And maybe you already know what it is. Maybe you've been thinking about it over the last few minutes. Maybe as you observe your world, your life this week, something will come to mind and it'll become clear. For some of us in the room, maybe, maybe this will take weeks, months, before you bump into something and go, oh, that's the thing. That's the thing for me. That's the desire that's stopping me. What's stopping you? Whatever it is, instead of doing what we naturally do, instead of of doing what we think we should do, instead of saying don't, don't look at that, don't drink that, don't do that, don't say that, don't act like that, don't eat that, don't buy that, don't think about that. Instead of saying don't, say help. Don't say don't, say help. Say, God, I need you. God, I need you. God, I need you. Can we just say that together? God, I need you. One more time. God, I need you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you don't leave us to figure things out on our own. And we in here, all of us, we can point to times in our lives where we have tried really, really hard. It's, it's not because of a lack of effort, God. And maybe we've had some success or maybe it's been a total failure, but God, all of us can tell the stories of when don't was not enough and when don't actually just made us think about that thing all the more or desire that thing all the more. So I thank you, God, that you don't leave us alone with that, but you give us another way. And that through your son, Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, we can have life in his name and we can have the help of the Holy Spirit in those moments where we need it the most. God, would you remind us later today, this week, next week, God, remind us to say help in those moments, to turn our eyes towards you and to ultimately stop those desires that are stopping us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.